Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of AWM Insights. It's your Power 3, two CPWAs and a CFA. We are Eric, Brandon, and Justin. And each week we cover what you need to know to capture the returns that you deserve and invest like a pro. And of course, there is only one topic we can possibly talk about this week. It has set the investing world ablaze over the last week, week and a half. It's GameStop, AMC, Robinhood, meme stocks, hedge funds, short squeezes, and of course, good versus evil, retail versus Wall Street. And so today we're going to cover what does all of this mean for your portfolio? Is this really missing a lifetime of an opportunity that you need to jump on? Is the structure of the market permanently changed? Really, what does this mean for you and your portfolio? Yep. But before we get there, let's hit on a couple definitions. So we're all you know, I guess on the same playing field, right? You you mentioned a bunch of interesting terms in that intro, Eric, uh, hedge funds, short, short squeezes, options. So, I mean, we'll start with some of those basics, right? What is a hedge fund? It's a super, super broad term, first and foremost. Um, and and they actually date back quite some time. And, and the namesake was given to them or the name was given to them for the exact purpose of, of what that name is, right? Managers would hedge bets. And it was a fund that would hedge bets if you were long, you know, a stock, right? Long a stock means you're holding it, you own it, you expect it to go up. And you wanted to hedge the ability that uh, the potential that it could drop, right? And so that's how they got started. Fast forward to today, there's a plethora of different strategies. Uh, there's so many different approaches that hedge fund managers take, right? There's macro uh, hedge fund managers, which are you know really trying to pick the direction stocks are going all over the world. Maybe they're shorting, maybe they're going long. It, it really is, they can kind of go anywhere and do anything. There's something called merger arbitrage. There's long, long short, which they try and take half of the portfolio, go long, half of it goes short. And we're going to talk about what that means. So there's, there's really no single definition of a hedge fund anymore today. So you kind of have to take that, that broad, hey, the hedge funds are all bad. The hedge funds are all doing this. Um, you have to take that kind of broad statement with a grain of salt. So first and foremost, um, and then let's talk about what a short is. So we've talked about long short funds. You're seeing a lot about shorting stocks in the market, short squeezes to be specifically, to be specific, excuse me. And a short is essentially, hey, I think a stock is going to go down. And instead of just not buying it, because I think it's not a good investment, but let's, let's take advantage of that. Let's actually implement a trade based on that. And the way you do that is you go to your your broker, your your broker dealer, your custodian, and you say, "Hey, can I borrow shares in a stock from another investor in the marketplace? Put those shares in my account, and then I go sell them. But I don't actually own those shares. I'm borrowing them from another investor, and to do that, I actually have to pay them interest as long as I borrow. And then at some point in time, I actually have to give those shares back. Now, the the way it it ideally works for a short um, short seller is that you, you borrow those shares, you sell them, the share price goes down, you buy it back, and you get the difference. You actually get that money in your account and you give back the shares. Win-win, right? Um, and shorts actually do play a good role in the market most of the time. They are definitely tools that can be misused, and they often are, but uh, they actually are a good voice within the marketplace at times. So a, a recent example of that is a company called Wirecard, which is a 
big payments processor, similar to you know PayPal here in the United States. They're, they were based in Germany. And short sellers really caught wind of fraud that was going on early on. And it took years, actually, after short sellers made these claims and, and, and until the regulators actually caught up. And now Wirecard's a bankrupt company, and I think some of the executives are, are going to jail. Uh, so there, there is a role short sellers can play. Now, what's going on here is some, some hedge funds put in some short uh, positions that were pretty stupid, I guess, if, if, you, <laughs> if you ask me. Um, and we can get into that a little bit more in a second. But uh, they got a little overzealous and a little overconfident and, and you know, kind of uh, has some implications for, for active management as well. And we can talk about that as, uh, uh, in a bit as well. Then um, options are also a big part of this. So options are uh, what are called a derivative. They derive their value off of another investment. And uh, the simple form of an option in this case is a, what's called a call option. And so a lot of people are, are buying call options on game stock. And that basically means, and, and to define it even further, they're buying uh, deep out of the money call options on game stock. And they basically think that the price of game stock is going to increase so much above the price of their call option so they can buy the stock at the price of their option and then go sell the stock in the market right an option gives them the option to buy the stock at a specific price at a point in time hopefully that all makes sense so those are those are some good entry level definitions that are critical to understand what's going on here it is fascinating uh you know we're we're all students of the markets here and um it's it's been a it's been a hell of a ride over the last week week and a half to see what is really going on it's you know like eric said the little man uh versus the institutions and institutions making silly bets and and you know it, it has unfortunately i think at this point in time it, it's ended up where the the little guy if you will the, the day traders are somewhat um at a point where some some people are going to get hurt. How how many? How much? You know, who knows how many people are investing their life savings in something like this, and and hopefully not many. Uh, but people are going to lose money. Uh, the hedge funds have lost money. I think some retail traders will lose money. Some retail traders have made a lot of money as well. Hopefully, if they've sold right, some people might just be sitting on gains and and not doing anything with it and expecting it to go further. But um, it's been a been a fascinating ride. So let I mean, let's talk more about GameStop. Yeah, I think that that's a great question. So let's just start there. What in the hell is going on with GameStop, right? We got the the lay of the land now, uh, and we're trying to figure out what's actually happening, right? And what ended up happening is we have a company in GameStop that hasn't made money in a long time, has totally under, underperformed. So to Justin's point, we had these big institutional hedge funds or traders, right, that are had taken short positions in the stock. Well, you know, what we're seeing now is that we had a pretty sophisticated group of day traders uh, that are leveraging the power of social media uh, and specifically Reddit to band together and execute upon a strategy. So, you know, I think one thing to be really clear about is this whole thing kicked off not by, you know, your brother's, you know, best friend who had some tip and has a Robin Hood account and he's going to trade something. No. These were pros. These were pros that got together, very sophisticated, and decided we're going to make a couple of these hedge funds pay for shorting GameStop. So that's what kicked this whole thing off. And I think you know where it's led to, right, is the euphoria, uh, the the big FOMO, 
uh, of, hey, this thing's taken off. Of course, it's going to continue to make money. Uh, I think we've gotten more questions about GameStop and AMC and what's going on right now than any other topic out there and, and or in, in the history of 15 years, 20 years in the financial services. I don't think I've gotten a quite, so many questions on a single topic. So, you know, I, I think it's that euphoria that you got to take a step back. You know, let's if we start to think about some of the things, the unique circumstances that are happening right now, you know, people are home you know, potentially bored. Could that be playing into it? We just got a whole bunch of stimulus last week, right? You know, and we know like, you know, maybe there's there's some dudes sitting at home, you got your stimulus check, you don't know what else to do with it. Uh, Let's see what we can do here and make a mess on the market. Um, And then the, the power of social media, right? Zero commission trades. Let's not forget about that. Trading has never been easier. So, you know, this may just be, we get the question a lot, like, should I be in GameStop? Stop. Should I go buy some? And let's just take a step back and remember, we may be just looking at the perfect storm here for a couple of these stocks. And often when these things start to get away like this, um, to your point, Justin, it's it's the game of hot potato. Don't be holding the potato at the end, right? Uh, Whoever is going to be holding this at the end is probably going to get hurt. And so, you know, when your buddy tells you they've made 500 grand on GameStop, you know, number question number one should be like, why'd you invest in it? You know, what were your expectations? That's kind of interesting. And two, oh, that's so he made 500 grand. Did he actually sell? I think that's a fantastic question, right? These are all paper gains right now, unless you actually sold the money's in your account. So, you know, I know we're going to continue going on this because it's such a fascinating topic. Um, But yeah, let's. uh, Let's dig a little deeper. I'd love to hear hear more from you guys, how you're looking at it. The difference of trading and investing is probably a great place to start. Yeah. Well, one of the things I want to say here is taking that step back and in, in the word FOMO, right? We all we all kind of laugh at it. But the, re- the reality is the, use, the reason we use that is because it's a real thing. And, and I think this quote from Brad Klontz, who happens to be a psychology professor at Creighton University is so important that that I read today is you need to recognize that you're wired to do everything wrong when it comes to money and investing. If you fear of missing out leads you to day trade on speculative stocks, you're taking an approach that typically results in failure over the long term. And I think that that's really important is our crock brain, right? If we see a hundred and whatever, 2000 people running in one direction, it's very hard to stop, use our intelligence, look at evidence and go, hey, historically, that direction's off a cliff. Let's not go there. Everybody's going. It's a really fun ride. And I think that that's the difference is in the short term, trading is an emotional high. This is why uh, gambling happens, right? Is, Is there's an excitement, there's a thrill it's very boring to be a long-term investor. And so I think sticking on the conversation of definitions, what we're not saying, hopefully, for everyone listening here, is that you're a horrible person if you choose to be a day trader, right? We're, what we started this conversation off was saying, this was actually not a game of amateur versus professional. This was a game of very skilled professionals that happen to aggregate not for a specific company, but for a specific purpose, 
on a Reddit forum. I mean, it's one of uh, Justin's uh, CFA chartered uh, uh, holders that has been in the mix of this, right? They were so intelligent. They understood how to squeeze out a short. They were so intelligent to understand what were the decisions that the hedge funds would make in response to that. And they've created this tidal wave. And so, uh, yes, we had retail versus Wall Street, but it was professional against professional. Where it's dangerous is, is if you're an amateur. And this is where I like to talk about what a trader is versus investing, right? Traders are, it's a whole different game. One is very short term. It's they're more concerned with what is the price of the position? What's the momentum? What's the volatility? And we're trying to be in and out, in and out. And if we recall a few years ago, the famous book Flash Boys, right? It's with algorithms. It's these are very sophisticated people moving in and out of markets extremely quickly. Whereas investing is, we care about the fundamentals of the business. We believe that you're purchasing pieces of future cash flow. Uh, and so there is this evidence that says, hey, over the long term, you will be rewarded. There's a ton of risk in trading. And so what we talk about is saying, hey, if you want to participate in the trading game, no different than when we talk about investing, are you a professional? Are you? Do you have a game plan? Do you have a buy position? Do you have a sell position? Do you have the right size? Are you risking something that could blow you up, right? Um, what type of tools are you using? What's the best time to trade? I mean, your eyes have to be attached to a screen to have any chance of being successful here. And so I think that that's just, you know, I'll let you guys jump in. I want to put it there is the other thing is we talk a lot about here capturing the returns you deserve after tax. Nobody's talking about all of this trading going on generates, well, it generates fees on some platforms. Um, and then there's a tax implication. This is all short term. So I just think there's a lot more questions at play here of how do you be a professional and set yourself up for success? That's what we're concerned about. Yeah, yeah. certainly. I mean, Justin, if you want to jump in, I'll just say really quick, I think, you know, this, this topic of trading versus investing, right? Just back to Eric, your point. I mean, it's the competition. It's understanding what you're up against, right? And as a long-term investor, you can stay patient. You can capture those returns that you expect. But to your point, you know, it, we think about the marketing, right? You're going to hear a million times come out of this. I can already see all the marketing ads of option strategies and short sellers and this and that. And I think a good place to go back to is, you know, and everybody's going to make it, it seem like this is brand new. This just started happening, <laughs> yeah. right? But let's go back to it. And Justin, you, you can probably fill in the history here, but you know, this isn't a new thing. Yes, of course, it's new with GameStop, but we've had people trying to take advantage of, of market anomalies like this or band together. I mean, this happened before. It happened most recently, 2008, right? When we had the mortgage finance, uh, mortgage crisis, you know, and there are some people that I identify once in a lifetime opportunities in, in cases like this. But what what ends up tricking most people is thinking like, it's called once in a lifetime for a reason, right? John <laughs> right. Paulson shorted the mortgage market in 2008 and it was great. It was a one time, once in a lifetime opportunity. It's all the, all the people that came after that didn't have that plan, Eric, that weren't professionals, right? That ended up absolutely getting crushed. So 
you know, I just thought it would be good to mention, like we're not and facing something brand new. Yeah, this is great homework for people. And then I'll let Justin jump in. There's this really cool movie with Christian Bale <laughs> called The Big Short, right? And I think it's super educational for a few reasons. Number one, it tells you the herd mentality is usually where most people sit. So if you're like everybody else right now saying, hey, how do I get on Robin Hood and how do I buy these things? You're most likely in the herd mentality. You're you're not Michael Berry, uh, professor, uh, hedge fund, who everybody literally says, I'm going to sue you. I want my money back. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. And he had the answer the right way. And we know the thing about markets is, is they can stay far uh, longer irrational than you can stay liquid. And that goes to positioning of not risking stuff that you count on. And so I just think there's so much uh, truth in that movie that number one, it, it explains what's going on, what goes on on Wall Street, and just how difficult it is to be successful, even when you are a professional when it comes to trading and shorting. So I just thought that that go watch that movie. It's fascinating. It's the only thing that actually makes finance uh, interesting. Hollywood did a good job there. <laughs> well, let me see. Let's see. There's been a lot of uh, comments here. I jotted down a couple of things. I want to make sure we we touch on. Um, but kind of Eric, to your point, what's really important when you're differentiating investing and speculation, and I mean, I would even argue this goes a little bit beyond speculation at this point, right? Um, and I'll get to why in a second. It, it's it's calculating probabilities of success, um, and and we know with fairly high likelihood, if you participate in the market over the long term in a disciplined fashion with exposure to areas of the market that compensate you for the risk you're taking, you're going to earn a, a range of returns, right? And it's going to be positive over the long term. There's, there's things that go into how positive it will be and things like inflation and the equity risk premium and you know all these CFA terms um, that I won't go too much into detail on. But the probability of success in long-term investing or investing should be high. As you go away from long-term investing and quote-unquote investing in general, you're starting to move more towards speculation where the probability of success becomes much lower. Where we are today in this GameStop uh, mania, at this point I would say it is it, it's become more of a, a, a mania-type bubble, if you will, um, is, is beyond speculation, right? There's no way, if, you're, if you go to the market right now there is no way you can get anywhere close to a, an accurate probability of success that it will go up from here. Could it go up? Yes, but there's no way you can accurately measure the probability of your outcome, right? And so, so that is no longer really investing in, in our opinion. You cannot, because, and one of the main reasons is it's not trading on fundamentals anymore. There's no way you can make an argument that, GameStop is worth what it is today. I mean, if you look at the chart of GameStop, it's parabolic. It like it is, it literally looks like something you learn in you know your calculus class or something like that, right? So, so the odds of success are critical when you're talking about investing, and and really in the, in the case of this, it, it, that kind of goes out the door. It really it, it becomes more gambling like, and I think you could argue even when you go to Vegas, you know you know the the odds that are stacked against you in almost all cases, right? You know, when you go up to a roulette table, what your odds are. Um, in this case, you don't really know that. So in a way, it's beyond gambling, like I said. 
to Brandon's point, right, the, these type of market environments have been around, I mean, since since markets began, you could go look at the tulip bulb mania in in the Netherlands, and you know I think it was the 1800s. I might be getting that off, but like there was a very similar mindset that took hold but way back then, and it's repeated itself time and time again. Yes, technology is different. The speed at which uh, these things can pervade markets is different, and it's faster, right? I mean, the speed of information is is just almost light speed at, at this point in time. And so that has certain impacts. And, and I think Brandon mentioned like that, you know, some, some element of, of this type of um, activity or environment is here to stay. It's not like it's going to happen each and every week or, or each and every year even, but as information moves so fast, as social media, you know, feeds upon itself, et cetera, et cetera, we're, we're going to see stuff like this continue to happen. Um, and, you know, I think what's also important to understand is to kind of going back to the definition of what exactly is happening. It's, it's what's called a short squeeze. Like we, we mentioned that, but what that means is these, these day traders, the, the Reddit community, um, and it's probably beyond that now, but that let's just say the Reddit community has squeezed the short sellers. And basically what that means, they've, they've propped up the price above where the hedge funds sold it short and they are forcing the hedge funds to buy it back at a higher price. So the hedge funds are losing money on that trade and the, the day traders are, are making money. As, as, as this feedback loop continues, and this is where it kind of becomes that hot potato thing, is there's no one else really buying this stock. No institutional investor is going to touch GameStop right now. So it is really only these day traders kind of buying it amongst themselves, amongst themselves and, and driving it higher. There are probably some short sellers who are still trying to cover their trades, but for the most part, at some point in time, all of those are going to go away and it's just a matter of day traders continuing to buy it. And when they stop, I mean, look out below, right? It's kind of the the unfortunate side of this and where where people will, will lose out, unfortunately. Some people will make money, like I said, and some people will lose out. So anyway, um, I think I touched on a couple things there and I don't know. Eric, where do we want I think to go? One, go there? Yeah, one fascinating thing. I just looked this up because we were talking about how do you actually ascertain a probability uh, of outcomes for GameStop, right? And you mentioned fundamental analysis. And I think it's good for people to understand what your expectations should be when you go to buy a stock. They should be that when you're buying a stock, you are buying the earnings of that company. That's fundamentally what you're what you're buying. And so you know, those, then we look at, okay, well, how much are you willing to buy those earnings for? When you look at some companies that are, they're growing quicker, you're going to pay more for those earnings because you expect those earnings to accelerate at a greater, at a greater pace. We're looking at an instance here with GameStop where to, to my knowledge, I, I don't think they actually make money. So we're seeing the price that you're willing to pay for a company that doesn't make money. So those negative earnings you're willing to continue to pay more and more and more and more. And I just look to see basically what the market cap was of GameStop after this, this increase. What people are saying is that I'm willing, I am putting my money into this company and I expect it to grow at the same rate as Slack and Affirm and Delta and Dollar Tree and Canon 
which companies would you rather own for the long term? I think, you know, when you look at this, I, I would make the argument, I sure as heck would rather own Slack and Affirm and these other companies long term than, than owning GameStop. And so I think it's just when you start to think about investing, you know, that's how you should look at investing. Um, and then the other quick note I'd like to say is just, if you are a long-term investor and if you are looking and using the data to have a positive investment experience, you're in a globally diversified investment portfolio and you own GameStop because we don't know what's going to happen next or what company this might happen to. And so you participate by owning the wide variety of companies. So don't feel like you're missing out. If you are a prudent investor, you do have an allocation to GameStop. You are participating in this mania at some level. Um, and so I, I just think it's good to note that as well. Yeah. And, and a few things I'd say on it, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Brandon's favorite uh, cryptocurrency, Dogecoin. Doge, uh, baby. Do, the Doge. Doge. I mean, this thing literally was started. It was founded as a joke. It is a sword. Uh, over 400%, right? Robinhood is restricted trading, and, and which is a whole nother conversation of, of what even, what are the other difficulties that now people are trying to pour in? Well, there's all these other hurdles, right? Restrictions on on liquidity and, and ability to trade. But, you know, taking a step back and saying, who are our clients? Those of you that are listening to this, you guys have worked extremely hard for the money that you have. And you hear us talk about investing in your human capital is we also talk about your priorities, right? Is it's, it's so easy to get caught up in a frenzy and start to forget our priorities. Why are we doing any of this and all of this? It's to say, I want to live the life that's important to me. It's not to risk things that I actually have some certainty around and some high confidence of, I'm not going to take that and go chase something to really hopefully make an amount of money that I've got no statistically, you know, no, no probability that I can rely on. And so I just think it's one of those things that we say, hey, what's going on here is if you're a prudent investor, if you're someone who is really a professional we have to break this down into a few different buckets. First and foremost, what are our priorities? Once we know that, then we start to create an allocation to the type of investments that historically have evidence-based research saying this is going to give you the highest confidence to accomplishing your priorities. If you want to have a bucket of money that you would use for entertainment, because that's what this is. This is entertainment. This is not investing. Uh, this is no different than you buying a lottery ticket. I would say you even have less of a chance of succeeding than going to Vegas with this amount of money. But it's that type of money that you're willing to, you know, you and your wife are willing to go take out uh, on a weekend and blow on a life experience. So if you're going to chalk this up as entertainment money for life experience to learn a little bit about investing, fantastic. You would never spend all your money on one piece of entertainment and blow up everything that's important to you. And that's yeah. all we're asking you to do yeah. is really name it what it is. It's entertainment, and we want to make sure that we're investing like a pro. I'll let you guys kind of make comments on that, but I just want to make that really important thing that we're, we're talking about here. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's super, super critical, and I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying. I think just one thing that's fascinating about this, again, the whole thing is, but um, you know, it, it brings up all these interesting uh, facets of of the market, right? So people are now hearing what a, a clearinghouse is. Um, they're realizing that Robinhood is not just like this 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 open platform where they have no <laughs> impact. And the, the amount of trading and the amount of accounts that they're opening, it, it is, that's the unfortunate side of it, uh, where people are blaming Robinhood, which has provided a ton of access for shutting down their access to the, the markets. And Robinhood has to do that because of regulations. Robinhood is potentially on the hook if something goes haywire and, and clients cannot actually provide the money to buy these shares that they're putting orders into the marketplace for so that you know it's it's really interesting to see all these the, again the, these kind of the underworld of the market come up and and have people learn about that i do i still think that there's there's a misunderstanding ar- around it and everyone's like well give me my access to my game stock right it's uh or game stop stock it it's it's more than that right the, the markets need to function appropriately and regulators are looking into this across the board um and and they're complicated structures, right? They're not just this simple, hey, I'm gonna click buy and I get my shares, right? The technology that has been built makes it appear like that on the surface, but it is very complex and very complicated and, and incredible underneath that. And I mean, it's something I, I love about what we do, right? It, it's this fascinating system that's been created and it works incredibly well um, and, until it doesn't, I guess, in this case. but. Uh, it, it's important for people to understand there's there's usually more to a story and more to um, what we're doing as a society than than is on face value, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and with these platforms, the Robin Hoods of the world, like you can be angry. I mean, you have the right, right? They just took away your ability to buy more of it, right? You could probably still sell it, but, you know, it, it doesn't seem fair on the surface, but to your point, I mean, there, there are reasons why they do it. And let's just go back. This isn't the first time. Like, should you be surprised? No, quite frankly, you shouldn't be surprised because this happens, right? We've seen this on, on the short side where short interest goes through the roof. These, these platforms will start restricting trading on that. So yeah. this isn't a new thing. This happens. You should expect that if you have a mania like this, it's probably going to happen. It's part of the risk spectrum. Um, the other thing I just want to touch on real quick, Eric, were your comments. And I think there's really interesting and important nuance about, you know, the sizing of your positions, because I think we hear these famous people, right? And, and especially the venture capitalists who are the most skilled people in the world at identifying what company is going to grow, how quickly it's going to grow, how much money it put in those. And I actually heard a fascinating conversation between Kevin Rose, the founder of Dig, and he's now a VC with True Ventures, him and Tim Ferriss, which most people probably know Tim Ferriss. And they're going through this whole, you know, they're into crypto and they're into this and, you know, these companies that are going to go 5x. But then you catch a small nuance at the end of the conversation and it's, well, how much money do you actually put into this? And Kevin, who is probably worth north of 30, 50 million dollars, who knows? And it's like, oh, you know, I won't put any more than 5% in crypto and I don't put any more than 25% of my net worth into 
into stocks that I think are going to explode. And the rest of it's in a, guess what, globally diversified index portfolio. So it's these really incredible, so these smart people are still taking the bulk of their wealth and doing what everybody on listening to this call should be doing. And then if you achieve that, that you achieve all your priorities. You've got so much money that your priorities are set. Then that's, you know, arguably in these guys' case, that's where you go and you do some of this stuff, not, not GameStop. I'm almost guaranteed these guys aren't in GameStop at this point, but you know, it, it's going after the, the companies that they think are going to five X and 10 X. And as we all know, that's in the private markets. So anyways, I just thought that was a, a highlight that, that should be mentioned. Yeah. yeah one other, or go ahead, Eric. Sorry. No, 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 go for it. I was going to say one other thing is, that's fascinating and, and, um, I think is worth highlighting is, is kind of the social, um, impact or, or social aspect of this that, that it's really taken on. So to our point or to the point we've discussed quite a bit so far in this podcast is, is that it was started by a pretty sophisticated trader. And then the day traders have, have taken it on and, and adopted this, you know, little guy versus or David versus Goliath mentality. And I get that. And I, I, I can somewhat, um, relate to it, I guess, to an extent, but to back to my prior point in that we live in such a complicated world or complex world rather. And, and especially when it comes to investing in markets, it's, it's a, it's a, a complex system. They have enriched plenty of wall street firms <laughs> or private equity firms doing what they're doing. Brokerage firms, which are all quote unquote institutions and, you know, owned by wall street, if you will, love volume. So what, th- what I mean by that is when volume, the amount of shares that are traded on a daily basis goes up, brokerage firms make more money. They're making money on every single little transaction. They're, they're picking up pennies, but the more there is, the more money they make. And I think that's one thing that's missed. Um, something to highlight is it, with AMC, uh, so a private equity firm called Silver Lake has been a debt holder of AMC. They had something called convertible debt, which means it can go from debt to equity at a certain point in time. But because of this whole mania around AMC, they've been able to convert that into equity and make a ton of money off of it. AMC actually was able to go to market and raise $300 million of new cash to support their business because of what's going on. No change in the valuation of the business at all yet. I mean, they're still struggling because of the pandemic and who knows if they'll be around. I mean, you know, we'll see, the time will tell, but there are all these knock-on effects that, that you know, have, have enriched some people. Yeah, a couple hedge funds have lost a decent amount of money and, and hopefully some day traders have made some money and hopefully not too many day traders are left holding that, that hot potato or holding the bag and, and don't lose too much. And hopefully they've right-sized their, their allocation. But, but by all means, this is a complex marketplace. People have benefited from what's going on, namely these you know, Wall Street institutional types that these people are, are claiming to you know, stick it to, if you will. So you know, there, there's always more to the story. And, 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 and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like people are taking a step back and understanding that yet. I mean, maybe we will in, in a little bit. But uh, yeah, the whole thing is fascinating. Yeah, and, and, Eric, I know you're going to close us out, but you can either touch on it or I want to touch on it. The market is not broken. I want everybody to be clear about that, right? We're talking about a very small sliver of the market and what is happening right now. So if you're a long-term investor, the market is not broken. Stay diligent. 
allocate to where you expect the returns to be, be globally diversified over the long term. This is a blip in the radar. It is not going to throw off your entire investment plan. So, you know, I know I've gotten a couple questions on that. I'm, I'm sure you guys have, but I just want to reassure people that are doing the right thing that this whole thing isn't going to implode your portfolio. No, it's it's actually uh, it's actually a picture of capitalism working. Uh, you know, it's it's actually a picture of markets working. It's it's uh, something in a really, um, I guess, direct way. As you've heard us talk about on this podcast, it is very difficult to outperform the market by picking individual stocks, market timing, or using derivatives or short selling. It's just very, very difficult, right? And what's happening here is some active hedge fund managers got caught with their pants down, right? Like evidence worked here, you know, is other active investors took them out right? That's a zero sum game right there. And that's why we laugh because after transaction fees, uh, after after fees and taxes, you can't do it unless you take evidence-based information like we do, and we stay disciplined and vigilant over the long term, right? And so I think that that's the thing is markets are working. Um, It just may not be working the way that some other people want it to work in. The other core tenant, timeless truth is, Risk and return, they are always attached, right? So you you absolutely might be shooting for the moon right now. You might be on this rocket ship of GameStop or Dogecoin or whatever, and you think the herd mentality is it only can go up. There is a risk associated with it, right? In a in a very bad analogy, it's swinging for the fences every time every time you're at the plate. You know what, Barry Bonds, you were pretty good at being able to do that. For all the other guys that tried to ha- implement that mentality, they never made it to the big leagues or they didn't stay there very long. And so I just, you know, you as the listener listening in, think about whatever it is that you do. So many of you are the best in the world, right? Whether you're the professional athlete, whether you're a founder, an operator, a doctor, is take a step back and say, what if somebody just rolled off the street, walked into the OR and decided that they were going to cut somebody open, Right. They could get lucky for sure, um, but they're most likely going to kill somebody, right? And and I think it's the same thing as as a professional athlete. You would just laugh. It's like you might be able to get a hit, right? But, I mean, you're going to get laughed out of the stadium. They don't even let you in the locker room. And so with this, you guys have worked so hard for your money. Um, we love having these conversations. Uh, we're paying attention to this, obviously, Every minute as it's going on, um, we welcome all the questions, all the conversations. If there's something you want us to cover, we've talked about a lot of resources here. Head over to awminsights.com where you can access the show notes. And the last thing we would leave you with, right, is this is about priorities. It's about living the life that you've envisioned and giving yourself the highest confidence to be able to do that. And so until next time, stay humble, stay hungry, and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. 
to determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.